As you do, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. You'll find that on page 935 of your pew Bible. And we will be reading the entire chapter. Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and they, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all wisdom and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth of it, uh, that we might uh, be changed, that we might give you glory in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Monday uh, at the funeral for Elsie Stewart, Julie Young's mother, that uh, 
as Dean prayed regarding. Uh, I spoke of a conversation that I had with Elsie and asked her how she came to faith in Jesus Christ, and she said it was uh, through a Baptist church when she was a teenager. She, the preacher, she said, just it was as if he was speaking just to her, and she uh, responded, understanding that she was a sinner and needed a Savior, and placed her faith in Jesus uh, for the forgiveness of sins, and as was the practice in the church, she came forward, spoke to the pastor, and also as practice of the church. She was baptized in the mill pond behind the church. They didn't have a baptistry. And I asked her how she came to be part of a Presbyterian church, and she said that uh, years later, her husband, uh, who was in the military, had uh, gotten done with one assignment, and they moved uh, to a, a different area, and it just happened to be that a Presbyterian church was the closest church uh, to their home, and so they began to attend Presbyterian Church, and I said to the gathered group there at her funeral that I suppose you would say that in the providence of God, Elsie Stewart became a Presbyterian, and they chuckled because there was a little bit of a joke there because Presbyterians are known for emphasizing the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> uh, people, people know that about us, and uh, when I got here to, to Bay County, not long after I was here, I was talking to a man, and he said, why did you come here to Bay County? And I said, I, I came here as a pastor at a Presbyterian church. Um, and he said, oh, well, let me tell you a joke about a Presbyterian. A Presbyterian was uh, walking down a stairway one day, got about halfway down, and uh, tripped and fell and tumbled all the way to the bottom of the stairs. And he got up, and he said, uh, uh, he said well, I'm glad that's over with. Uh, meaning, of course, that everything is ordained to happen. If you're a Presbyterian, it's just inevitable, and so it's good that I got the joke at the time. And um, so, it, you know, he's, he's correct. Here's what our standard says. The Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 3, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. A lot in there, but that he has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so God's control over all things is emphasized in Scripture, and it's emphasized here in the book of Daniel quite a bit. We see here uh, three times it says God gave. Chapter 1 Verse 1 of Daniel, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It wasn't simply that Babylon had greater military uh, forces. Um, we've seen uh, prior to this, the king of Assyria came and surrounded Jerusalem, had far greater military might. And they turned tail and went back to Assyria. Why? Because the Lord willed it. In this case, the Lord willed 
that Jehoiakim be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. We read in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. We're going to find out as we talk about this in some detail that it was the Lord who gave Daniel favor and enabled him to be faithful in this context. Verse 17, and these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all wisdom, visions, and dreams. And so, first and foremost, the book of Daniel is not a story about moral heroes. It's not sort of an Aesop's fable that will give you a nice uh, moral story about about uh, a, a young man and other young men and how they follow God and, and you're supposed to follow in the same way. Not, not primarily. Primarily, this is an account of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. God is king. God is in control over all things. God is faithful. God will keep his word. God will do what he says he will do. At least seven centuries prior to this, God took the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt and brought them to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And he said to them at at that time in Daniel 28, verses 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there... You shall serve other gods of wood and stone, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. So God promised that if the nation of Israel followed idols instead of following the true God and in other ways were unfaithful to God that he would send them in to exile and so some seven centuries later in fact it happened in the year 605 BC as recorded in Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 Jehoiakim king of Judah was given into the hand of the king of Babylon and this was the beginning of the exile of the Israelites there were in fact Uh, It was a three-stage exile. This was the first of the three episodes. Uh, The third one, the exile, was complete. So God had promised to do that. Uh, Maybe the Israelites weren't happy that he kept his promise, but he was faithful to keep his promise. But God also promised this through the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God promised that he would send them into exile, and he promised 
that he would deliver them from exile and bring them back to the land of Israel in 70 years. Here's how the New Testament puts this reality, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works together for good to those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been called according to his purpose. And he promises that he will work all things together, both for his glory and your good. He can do this because he is sovereign. He is in control. And so the first application is to praise God for the wonder of his might and his glory and his power and his control. And then believe that he is working all things together, not only for his glory, but for your good. And if you do so, this is, in fact, the most practical, helpful mindset to have. And as we look at the book of Daniel, we're going to find that this is extremely helpful for us. As a Presbyterian minister, my problem is not that I can't affirm the truth of God's sovereignty. I want to, I want to believe uh, what I affirm more and more and more. There are some Methodists, you know, the Methodists are not particular. some of you come from Methodist backgrounds. I was baptized in the Methodist church. They're not particularly known for emphasizing this doctrine And yet there are Baptists, I mean Methodists, that are better uh, at fleshing out and living out the reality of faith that God is in control and God is working for my good than I am. I need to learn, and I trust there are some here that need to learn and be encouraged in the truth and believe the truth that he is in control and he's working all things together for your good. God was at work saving a remnant of his people through the events that are portrayed in the book of Daniel. And you know, there are times when God is very, very quiet in the way that he works in his sovereign and powerful way. And God is working in your life in very, very quiet ways. And the question is, do you believe it? It's easy to think. God, you're not at work. You're not sovereign. You're not in control. Or if you are, it's not for my good. Believe it. He's promised it to be true. And the reality is that it's, while he may change your circumstances, the purpose of God in your life is that you would come more and more to believe in his faithfulness. That he would change your heart. That as you believe in his faithfulness, that you, in fact, would be faithful in your heart, and in your life as you live out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel and his friends, as I mentioned, were taken uh, in this first uh, group of exile. We find that they took the best and the brightest, the the children of the nobility, the youth. Um, And on the surface of things, if you just looked at it from the outside, again, this is God was working quietly. Because uh, anybody in the ancient Near East would have said that the God of Israel was not in control. The, um, the Babylonians came and they took control of Jerusalem. Um, and the, the thinking back then was, if your God is stronger than our God, then, your God, then you're going to win this military victory. So the Babylonians were saying, 
we are stronger than you and our God is stronger than your God. And we see that by the fact that they actually took articles from the temple and that to be used in temple worship and they put it in the temple of their God, uh, probably the God Marduk in Babylon. It was their way of saying, we are better than you and our God is better than you. And yet God allowed that to happen in his providence. They took the best and the brightest from Jerusalem, um, again, in a way that wouldn't appear that God is in control, protecting his people, making them come out on top. He took them, and we know because the Babylonians kept uh, records that the youth of Babylon would have gone through a three-year uh, education process uh, beginning at the age 14 and going through the age 17 where they would learn um, Akkadian, uh, cuneiform, very, very uh, intricate and difficult uh, language and writing and they would also learn Aramaic and so Daniel and uh, his friends went through this training as well. Uh, God seemed to be powerless when Daniel and his friends were renamed Uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, those names have reference in the name itself to the God of Israel. They were named, uh, the the names that they were given were names that were specifically had association with the gods of Babylon in the name itself. It was their way of saying, we will dictate who you are, we own you, We will determine your identity. Your identity has to do with our gods, not your God. God seemed to be powerless in the fact that these these sons of Israel were indoctrinated in things that were contrary to the teaching of God and the truth of God. They were uh, educated for three years, and on one hand, you might say they went to the Harvard of Babylon I mean, this was where the best and the brightest went in Babylon. On the other hand, they were educated in things that were, as I said, contrary to the scripture. Uh, A lot of what they would learn would be sort of the science and religion of dream interpretation. We read in the book of Leviticus, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. And then we read in Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So there were, uh, there were undoubtedly things that Daniel uh, and his friends were taught that would be contrary to God's word. And God allowed that to happen. So God's work in the life of Daniel and his friends was not very showy. It was very quiet. And just because God's work in your life is not very showy and quiet uh, doesn't mean that he is failing to work actively in you, for you, and through you. Well, Daniel believed that God was at work. Daniel believed that God was sovereign. And as a result, he stepped out in faith. He had confidence. And we see this, interestingly enough, in the case of Daniel and um, the food that he was given to eat. Verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, part of the question is how would food and drink defile Daniel? Uh, we do know, and many of us are familiar with kosher laws uh, that the, the Jews even to this day, many of them observe as found in the Old Testament. Um, perhaps there's some of this going on. Uh, we don't know exactly what, in what way the, the food violated and defiled Daniel or would have defiled Daniel. Um, there's some challenge in understanding that because uh, wine is not part of the, uh, there would be no problem with drinking the king's wine if the issue were simply kosher laws. And some have suggested that the king's food would have been offered to uh, the king's idols, and perhaps that would have been a problem. Remember one commentator saying that uh, the best of the food of the Babylonians would be first offered uh, to the king's idol, and then whatever was left over would be given to the king, and kings never went hungry after the food was given to the idols first. And so there would be lots of great and wonderful food, and perhaps Daniel uh, didn't want to partake of that, but vegetables would have been presented to the king's idol as well. So we don't know exactly what the issue was, and it doesn't matter. The issue is that in some way, shape, or form, there was a defilement that Daniel ascertained in eating and drinking the food that came from the king's table. And so Daniel took a step of faith, and he said, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, Old Testament food laws were in place until the coming of Jesus Christ. The, the ceremony of the food laws uh, found its fulfillment in the reality of the forgiveness of sins that came through faith in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, these laws set them apart in a ceremonial way. The ceremony has now taken place in reality. And so we read in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these things come from within, and they defile a person. So, as an application for you today, I'm just going to go through that list again and say, maybe what of these things in your life, as you hear uh, these are aspects of defilement, uh, do you need before the Lord uh, to seek to be faithful in? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. How do you need to take a step of faith in your life to be faithful to your God and trust him 
uh, in a way that would enable you or help you to be faithful. Um, Daniel came up with a plan, and he, in faith, stepped out in that plan. And so pray about it. Pray how the Lord might practically help you to be faithful in an area in which you may be struggling with faithfulness or in an area where you may be in a situation where that faithfulness is being challenged or where you're being tempted. Uh, Come up with a plan, pray through it. And with Daniel, uh, the plan had one event, but just like the directions on your shampoo that says shampoo, uh, rinse, repeat, uh, you might need to uh, do that. Come up with a plan, pray through it, uh, seek to execute it, and you may uh, need to go back to the drawing board and pray for wisdom uh, with the Lord. How are you being influenced? Uh, maybe by somebody under, you're under their authority. Uh, who are the influencers in your life? Uh, maybe they're friends and peers. You know, Daniel was forced into an educational process that was counter to his faith, counter to obedience in the real God. How are you willingly opening yourself up to uh, learning or to pressure to compromise your faith? And how should you pray and plan to be faithful? We have faith that God is working. And again, ultimately, this is a story about God being faithful and sovereign. We see that in the case of Daniel's faithfulness itself, that it was only because God was sovereign that Daniel was able to be faithful in this situation. The prophet Ezekiel, speaking to the Israelites who are going into exile, warning them that if they go into exile... Uh, they're going to have a problem seeking to lead faithful lives that are undefiled. Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 12, And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. And the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself from my youth up to now. I have never eaten What died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. Ezekiel said, Lord, you're asking me to do something that I have never done before. I have never eaten anything that is defiled. And God says, this will be a sign to the people of Israel that they will not want to be defiled, but they will have a hard time uh, living in exile in an undefiled way, and that that should be a warning to them to turn back to him. We read in verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And so he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. Right? Daniel had his plan. It was a good plan. But the only reason why it was successful was because God made it so. You know, some of you are probably in situations, even today, where you find yourself under the authority of somebody, and it is very difficult for you to um, be faithful in your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, in particular, we have uh, several people here that are, um, are in the military, 
um, and you may be put in situations in the military where you are under the authority of somebody in command uh, where you will be challenged uh, to uh, live out your faith in a way that is faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can pray to God and say, God, please enable me to be faithful in the situation that you have put me in, uh, in at times difficult situations. You see, it's not just about your cunning. It's not just about your um, ingenuity. It's about God enabling you. There's a collusion in your heart of hearts. You want to be faithful to God, and yet it takes God working, helping you to be faithful in some very, very difficult situations. I think of um, Paul Lowry as a, a member of our church, and Paul worked at Walmart as a greeter, and uh, Paul came to me at one point and said, I would like for you to pray about the fact that, that Walmart has now put me um, in the liquor store section as a greeter, uh, and I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that situation. I don't like it, and I've told him I don't like it. And I said, okay, I'll pray about it. And we prayed about it, and God answered our prayer and put Paul back as a greeter in the regular Walmart section. Not only that, uh, the uh, Walmarts, at least in this area, began um, a campaign to raise money for Sacred Heart uh, Children Hospital and to help children in need. Um, And um, Paul Lowry was just a wonderful advocate as he uh, greeted people as they came in. And their Walmart had more donations than any other Walmart uh, to the cause. And so God answered Paul's prayer. Uh, He didn't want to be in that situation. He didn't like it. Um, But it was tough because he was under the authority of a boss that didn't necessarily um, hold to the standards that he uh, held to. So come to him, come to the Lord, say, I desire to be undefiled, I desire to be pure, it's my heart's desire. Uh, I admit that I am powerless, but I step out in faith. Uh, Please note the diplomacy of Daniel. If this had been a, uh, this story had been redone uh, in Hollywood, Uh, In our American culture, it would look entirely different. They would come in and they'd say, we want you to eat the food, and Daniel would throw it in their face and say, I'm not eating your food. And then Daniel um, and his three companions would escape, and they would rise up, and they would defeat the entire Babylonian army, right? I mean, that's that's, that's Hollywood. But that was not what Daniel did. Uh, Daniel spoke very diplomatically. Uh, to the people under whom he um, was under their authority. And then pray and trust in the Lord's sovereign control and thank the Lord for allowing you to be faithful and undefiled. Trusting in a big God produces faithfulness in small things, like eating and drinking. Trusting in a big God produces faithfulness in small things. We're going to find that Daniel will be called on to be faithful in some larger things. Faithfulness in smaller things leads to faithfulness in larger things. Faithfulness in small things is a training ground for faithfulness in bigger things. 
Faithfulness in private matters is training for faithfulness in public matters. You go through the checkout counter and the cashier gives you an extra $5.50. And you catch it. It's just $5.50. What's your attitude? Just won the lottery. Not going to say anything. I'm going to go home. Is your integrity worth $5.50? You see, say it's a small thing, but that small thing sets up faithfulness in larger ways. What happens when you have an opportunity, unbeknownst to somebody else, in a way that's unethical, to receive $10,000? Well, as you are faithful in the small thing, it's, it's practice and training for faithfulness in big things. And then we read that God gave these four youths wisdom. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, verse 17. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should, should, that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Undoubtedly, these four men applied themselves to their studies. But it was God who gave them wisdom and insight and ability we read in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We received it from God. I mentioned that Paul Lowry put in that position as the greeter at Walmart, uh, that his, his Walmart um, took in more uh, donations than any other Walmart. We might say that God made Paul Lowry ten times better than any other greeter in Walmart. And I was talking to Paul about, um, about this, asking for permission, by the way, before I gave this illustration. And uh, as I mentioned that, he said, well, God is the one that did it. I didn't do it. And I said, exactly, Paul. That's the point. That is the point. God did it. And God has lifted, has, has, uh, has worked in your life for a purpose. You know, for Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the purpose in part was to save a remnant of the people of God by putting them in a position of influence and power. And God has gifted you for the purpose of helping the people of God, even the people of God here at First Presbyterian Church. He has given you spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. But we also find in Daniel that these four men not only helped the Israelites, but God actually caused them to be a help and a blessing to the Babylonians themselves. And so God is also working in your life to be a blessing in your schools, to be a blessing in your businesses, to be a blessing in the community, uh, in the state, in the nation. He is working in you and through you to be a blessing sovereignly, sometimes quietly, sometimes in ways you don't know and maybe never will know. But that is what God is about. Now, fast forward, uh, Daniel chapter 121, the last verse is a fast forward to the 
end of uh, Daniel's life or near the end of Daniel's life. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That was 539 B.C. Uh, At that point, Daniel would have most likely been in his 80s. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. Um, Kings have come and gone. Uh, Not only that, but the kingdom of Babylon has fallen at this point. Cyrus uh, and the Persians are in control. Kingdoms have come and gone. But uh, that little Daniel, uh, the exile from Jerusalem, is there. Kings have come and gone. Kingdoms have come and gone. But Daniel remains. Why? God made it so. There was another humble one. He was born in humble circumstances to peasant parents, Jesus Christ. And God had a plan in Jesus that was a quiet plan to save his people from their sins. And it wasn't through a loud military victory and a loud military celebration. It was through Jesus offering himself up in the humility of the cross. He came and died for his people. That through faith in him, that his sacrifice, that he took the punishment for your sin and for my sin, and through faith in him that we would have our sins forgiven and we would be restored to a right relationship with God now and forever. That is true salvation. And on the surface, the disciples looked at that and said, their Savior is dead. His salvation is done for. His salvation is gone. And those looking at the death of Jesus Christ from the outside would have said, So much for that king, his kingship is gone. His kingship is over. And yet God raised him from the dead and and seated him at the right hand of the Father and he is now king of kings and lord of lords forever. The apostle Paul said it this way, "Who who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from your word that you are in control, that you're sovereign, that you're working in this world, and that you're working in our lives and through our lives. We pray, Father, that like Daniel, that we would believe in your faithfulness in whatever situation we find ourselves, whatever difficulties, whether we are in a position of authority, whether we are under authority, whether we are in a position of weakness or in a position of power, Father, may we trust in your faithfulness and may we more and more live faithful lives because of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.